0: Island Conversations, brought to you by KTA Superstores, where you're someone special every day since 1916. Now, here's your host and producer, Sherry Bracken.
1: Aloha, good morning. Welcome to Island Conversations. We're here on Sundays on KWXX and on B93, B97. And these interviews air the following Friday on KPUA, 670 AM in Hilo. On Wednesday, April 10th, a major scientific announcement was made with press conferences happening simultaneously worldwide of the confirmation of the existence of a black hole supplemented with an image of the black hole. Two telescopes on Mauna Kea were instrumental in this discovery, and Larry Kimura of the UH Hilo College of Hawaiian Language, in collaboration with others, gave this black hole and its beautiful photo the Hawaiian name Povehi. Today we're going to talk about the new program to give Hawaii-based astronomical discoveries Hawaiian names, how it's working, and about the amazing discovery of Povehi. I'm joined by Doug Simons, astronomer and executive director of Canada-France-Hawaii Telescope. Good morning. Aloha, Doug.
2: Aloha, Sherry. Good to be back.
1: I'm also joined by Jessica Dempsey, Deputy Director of the East Asian Observatory. And the East Asian Observatory, of course, was one of the two Hawaii-based telescopes that took part in this amazing discovery. Good morning. Aloha, Jessica.
3: Good morning. Thank you for having me.
1: We're also joined, and in fact, in the office of Ka'i'u Kimura, Executive Director of EMILOA Astronomy. Good morning. Aloha, Ka'i'u.
4: Aloha, Kakahiaka Sheri.
1: So let's start with Povehi, the black hole. Jessica Dempsey, the East Asian Observatory, was one of the two Hawaii-based telescopes on Mauna Kea that were instrumental in this discovery. What is this discovery about, and how did it all come about?
3: So the James Clerk Maxwell telescope and the submillimeter array on Mauna Kea are submillimeter radiation telescopes, and they pioneered the experiment. Uh, to try and image a black hole over 10 years ago. We've been working on the technology. And the short story is black holes are very, very dense, they're very dark, and they're tiny on the sky. And in fact, you need a telescope the size of the planet to image one. So we made one. And we made one by connecting pretty much every millimeter, millimeter facility on the entire Earth And pointing them at the two biggest and closest black holes to us and one of them was the image you now see and that data was taken two years ago and it's taken us all this time since then to put this image together and be sure of what we see.
1: How did you actually put it together?
3: So we actually had to take data at all of these telescopes we need to know the positions and the timing accurately. We didn't have to ship these uh, disks, hard disks, all the way across to a, a supercomputer in, in one location, uh, terabytes of data from each place, just huge amounts of data. It took us six months just to know whether the telescope had worked at all, and it took us another year to have that image. Jessica Dempsey, why
1: was it important to confirm the existence of a black hole? So, it's kind of
3: embarrassing, but we didn't actually know for certain that black holes existed until we took this image. We had a lot of suggestions. It was implied from a lot of data from a lot of different sources. We saw stars going around things at the centers of galaxies very, very fast, and there was something dense in the middle that wasn't emitting light. But this is the first image of a black hole. And so seeing that and seeing that this uh, ring of light that we observe is exactly where Einstein predicted and exactly how it should look, This really confirms for us that what we're seeing in the middle is a very supermassive black hole, six billion times the mass of our sun.
1: Doug Simons, your Canada-France-Hawaii telescope. From the basic scientific perspective, Jessica spoke about Einstein's theory. Tell us why you think this is, if you do, think this is a significant discovery.
2: We are literally on the cusp of a tremendous amount of black hole discovery and research that in my lifetime I've never even conceived of. We have two new tools now, the Event Horizon Telescope, which can directly image black holes, and LIGO, which is a laser interferometer gravitational observatory. And your listeners may recall uh, a few years ago with the first detection of gravitational waves by LIGO, which is a momentous event unto itself, and in fact is another way of demonstrating general relativity. Einstein's prediction was accurate. These two incredible machines we've never had and they are able to probe high-gravity environments like um, we've, we've simply been able to, to do in, in the past. So leading into the interview this morning, I was looking at some research papers. In fact, I went to the LIGO website this morning to look at um, their latest detections. They just went online April 1 with what's called Advanced LIGO, and they're now actually monitoring and coalescing black holes around us. They've got several detections posted already since April 1. One of the most interesting things that I think is emerging right now in the field pertains to the structure of black holes, and this gets into quantum mechanics and the merging of GR and and quantum mechanics. Um, I think, you know, sort of popular conception is you can't see what's going on inside a black hole because, of course, by definition they don't let any light out. It's not entirely true. They do radiate something. It's called gravitational radiation and that gravitational radiation comes out in waves through coalescing black holes. And by looking at the signature of that, essentially looks like a seismic wave, the gravitational radiation coming out of that coalescing merger of two black holes, you actually probe the interior of both black holes. And by doing so, you start to answer the question, is it actually a singularity in the middle? Or is it some form of matter that has has taken, sort of evolved in the center of the black hole it has this cloak of darkness around it called the event horizon, but is in fact the black hole not a singularity? It has a matter simply taken on a new form in the interior, and it has this sort of feature of having a cloak around it called the event horizon. I think we're right on the cusp of being able to answer that basic question, are singularities real, or you have something else going on in the interior. And that's just amazing that within a year we may in fact have that, that basic um, result in our hands.
1: You know, we've talked in the past about different telescopes on Mount Achaia and 30-meter telescope. With this amazing discovery being done with the telescopes that exist now, is it necessary to continue to build new telescopes? And let's look at 30-meter telescope as a specific.
2: Yeah, you absolutely have to continue the technology development that we've got on Mount Achaia. This is one example of decisions that were made a while ago that we are now seeing advancements and discoveries that weren't conceived of back when, for example, JCMT was first designed, or SMA. And this is the nature of the business we're in. It's unpredictable because we're following the trail of nature and science. And what you do is advance the, the field technologically as much as you can, and you follow the breadcrumbs that nature leaves for you in the process. This is an, a spectacular example of how those you know, sort of early pioneers on Mount Kea. With these telescopes, we're able to enable these discoveries that we didn't envision ever before. The same thing's going to happen with TMT. We just don't know what they're going to find.
1: So Jessica Dempsey, what comes next? I mean, you've found this black hole, you've confirmed it, you've got an image. What's the next step?
3: Well, we are got to find some more. And it's perfect what Doug has just said, which is, you know, we have to make it better. And so I want more toys. I want better toys. We're going to make our instruments more sensitive. The next thing, you know, we're going to make this image sharper. If there was anyone complaining a little about this black hole, it's like it's a little blurry. I'm like, we don't have Hollywood's budget. But even with what we have, we can really quickly go to maybe 10 times sharper. This is going to help us to find what we're seeing. There's a couple of things in that image which even us were like, we don't know what that is. Uh, So we're going to do that again. We're gonna to go to higher frequencies, that also gives us sharper resolution. We've got telescopes coming online in places like Greenland. And so all of these things are gonna to combine to make this instrument this was a prototype. You know, we were putting it together with band aids and sticky tape and, and, and you know, luck. But we're really gonna make this into a real from an experiment into an observatory. And then the sky's the limit. We don't know what we're gonna find out there, but I think there's a new there's a paradigm shift coming.
1: I have to laugh. The sky's the limit. Is that like an
3: astronomer joke? Uh, actually, it just slipped out. I had no idea that I was... If I'd intended that, it would have been way smoother.
1: So there were two Hawaii telescopes involved in this. How important were they? Would this discovery have been made without the
3: two Hawaii telescopes at the top of Mount Kea? The answer is yes. It would have come around eventually. It probably wouldn't look as good, though. It wouldn't look as sharp, we wouldn't have been able to get it as quickly, it wouldn't have been as sensitive. We need every little bit of collecting area on the entire planet to do this, but the position of the Hawaii telescopes means that we get what we call baselines, which is these lines you can draw between the existing telescopes that you cannot get anywhere else in the world. So it is really key for the exact image we see that we have these Hawaiian telescopes exactly where they are.
1: Doug Simons, The whole issue of Hawaiian naming is pretty fascinating, and it really reinforces for me the relationship between the early Hawaiian voyagers who came here to this island using the stars, and our Hawai'i people continue to do research. This is not the first object that was given a Hawai'i name, but you were there at the start of the project that I'm gonna also talk with Kimura about, about Hawaiian naming. How did that come about? How did that idea come to exist?
2: I got involved about um, two, two and a half years ago when a wonderful man, John DeFries, approached me with a memo, a five-page memo, that literally set this entire thing in in motion. And by the time John had sent me his memo, uh, which eloquently described his vision of associating Hawaiian names with great discoveries from Hawaiian telescopes, he had vetted that with other kapuna and with kahukumana, which is the advisory council for Office of Mauna Kea Management and Mauna Kea Management Board. And they had taken it as far as they could. I realized that John had basically gotten the green light from those those um, leaders in the Hawaiian community, but they didn't know how to actually you know, make it real in the sense of connecting to the observatory. So when I met with John, after I saw the memo and strongly encouraged, that we don't get um, stuck in the weeds, if you will, with rules, with details of the International Astronomical Union. Um, I had a very strong sense that this would be broadly embraced by the astronomy community here in Hawaii and internationally, and we should just get going in terms of of driving what was John's vision and and making it real, if you will. I'll fast forward. We started in a number of steps with the observatories, but, you know, fortuitously, when I had that meeting with John, I had no idea that somewhere in the outer solar system was this incredible object that we now call Oumuamua, hurling almost directly at the sun at a ridiculous rate of speed, ready to be discovered um, not long thereafter. And it's just one of those fortuitous things that, that um maybe it was fate, I don't know, but, but we had the conversations in place and we had just enough time, thanks to uh, Uncle Larry and Caillou, to immortalize, if you will, that discovery with a phone call I made to initially you after I had gotten a phone call from UH astronomers that they had a really hot topic called an interstellar asteroid that they wanted observing time at CFHT. So it was over to, you know, Larry and Caillou's wisdom with the language that they, within, I, was, I guess I gave them the whole 72 hours before, <laughs> before it had to go into the nature discovery paper that Karen Meech over at UH published and was forever cast into the you know the, the annals of history basically as the first interstellar asteroid, but also because it was a first of a new class of object, we had the opportunity to kind of create rules as we're going along, which is by the way, our thinking with the black hole <laughs> never never been you know seen before, so why not just go for it and do the same thing and come up with a name as well? So, anyway, kudos to John. It was his vision and my role, um, like so many things. I just run around and connect dots. And, and I was trying to connect what John and other kupuna had expressed as their vision, their desire to the observatories, to Emilo Astronomy Center, to Kahaka'ula and the expertise in Hawaiian language. And all the credit goes to them. I'm just the guy who took the idea and <laughs> passed, passed it along to people who have their real, real talent.
1: Okay, well, I'm going to ask Ka'i, but first, Aumuamua, tell us again, why is that an important discovery and which Hawaiian telescopes took part in that?
2: So it's discovered at PANSTARS, which are small survey telescopes over on Maui that are by themselves the um, producers of the most detections that were called NEOs, or near-Earth objects, popularly known as killer asteroids, <laughs> uh, potential killer asteroids. They find them all the time. And I see it in my email almost every day, where there are objects detected by PanSTARRS transferred to CFHT, where we do the immediate follow-up with higher resolution, to determine the orbits of these objects, and basically determine do we have an issue here or not. You'll be the second to know, Sherry, if I if I get one of those <laughs> issues popped up in my email. And uh, CFHT, and I think in the end, it was, it was several dozen telescopes worldwide. We only had a couple of weeks window because it was accelerating out of the solar system to observe it from the ground. Uh, Space Telescope was the last to observe it as it basically, I think, moved beyond the orbit of Jupiter. So very unusual object, roughly a 10 to 1 aspect ratio, so 10 times longer in one dimension than the other, which is unprecedented. It had a very unusual color, very reddish, so to speak, which meant it was probably very highly processed by deep, very deep space radiation, which is, is processed at surface. As I said, extremely high rate of speed, so therefore was in fact not captured by the sun, but in fact exited as a result of its high velocity out of the solar system. And of course it had this bizarre aspect of, as I said, accelerating out of the solar system, which, as you can imagine, caught a lot of attention, including in you know Sci-Fi Channel and other... Other um, programs worldwide that we don't have to get into uh, that interpreted that potentially as some sort of inner, you know, um, alien um, uh, craft or something like that. Um, it is explainable through physics as to to what actually led to the acceleration. Though it's really an extreme example of that mechanism.
1: Well, I have to tell you, it was pretty exciting when I read in Science News an article about this object, and there it was, Aumuamua, out there for all the world to see. And just a brief interruption to remind you, this is Island Conversations, and I'm your host and producer, Sherry Bracken. Today we're talking about the discovery of the black hole, the confirmation of the black hole, the imaging of the black hole, and and a really exciting opportunity for this island, how Hawaiian names are now being given to interstellar objects that are connected to Hawaii. Our guests today are Jessica Dempsey of the East Asian Observatory, Doug Simons of Canada-France-Hawaii Telescope, and Kaiyu Kimura of Astronomy. Next week, some of you may have noted that the Hawaii County budget is getting quite big. It is proposed at $583 million, which is more than $100 million greater than the budget that existed just two and a half years ago, and that's a concern. We'll be talking with Hawaii County Council members Tim Richards, who represents Kohala, and Sue Lee Loy, who represents parts of Hilo and Keokaha and parts of Keao, about the budget, not just the basic dollar amounts, but the budget process that really is hamstringing the County Council in impeding their ability to discuss the budget openly and come up with solutions so that the Hawaii County budget doesn't get completely out of control. And that is next week. The following week, we will air the conversation I've recorded about drugs on the island with Captain Reed Mahuna and Lieutenant Reynolds Kahalevai of Hawaii County Police Department. We pushed that interview back a week because the county council discussion was pretty critical. Now, before we get back to our conversation, let's hear from KTA Superstores.
0: At KTA, local and fresh means you get the very best Hawaii Island has to offer. The grass-fed meats you find at KTA are raised without added hormones. Or antibiotics. Our seafood department is stocked with sustainable choices caught in local waters by local fishermen. KTA carries the largest selection of Hawaii Island homegrown produce. Our mountain apple brand is all local, so you know it's fresh and delicious. Local and fresh always tastes best at KTA.
1: Let's get back to our conversation with Doug Simons, Jessica Dempsey, and Kaiyu Kimura about the confirmation that black holes exist and Hawaiian naming. So, Kaiyu Kimura. Talk to us about the Hawaiian naming. Doug Simons comes to you and said, hey, we got an idea. And by the way, we have 72 hours to name the first one. Tell us about the Hawaiian naming issues that you and Larry Kimura from UH Hilo College of Hawaiian Language worked on.
4: Well, after getting that call from Doug, yeah, I immediately thought of my uncle, Larry. Uh, He's been so involved back from the 70s in the whole resurgence and revitalization of the Hawaiian language. He spent a lot of time with um, Kupuna native speakers back in the, you know, in the 70s, 80s, who have a different, I think way of speaking in a different perspective than we do perhaps today. So he has a lot of that old context and um, I just thought he'd be the, he's the guy to help search for a name for this object. So yeah, he turned around and I think 48 hours he turned around with the name Oumuamua. It was exciting because the practice of naming celestial objects is not a new practice right our our people had names for everything that you can visually see with your eyes they even knew the difference right between planets and stars and it's it's um indicated by the types of classification or name classification that they have so it's pretty amazing um that they you know had such a close connection to the stars Uh, in that. So when when Doug called with this discovery, we thought, well, it's just re-engaging with something that's already very old. And we have technology to see beyond what we can visually see with our eyes. So, you know, let's just continue that practice. And that's how Oumuamua came to be.
1: (laughs) Well, that was the first step. But then you were actually asked to do the keynote speech in January 2019 at the International Astronomical Union. And I think there was more than 3,200 scientists there in the audience. That's kind of amazing. So tell us about doing the keynote speech and how the scientists responded.
4: There were a lot of people. I can't say exactly how many, but I know over 3,000 were registered for the conference. Yeah, it was pretty nerve-wracking to be a part of the keynote speeches. Actually, the keynote was about Oumuamua, and there was a scientist from Yale University, Dr. Greg Laughlin, who was the main speaker. But he, after a connection, uh, a friend that we have in common connected us to, he asked me to be a part of his keynote to talk about the naming and the cultural significance of Oumuamua. So I took that as an opportunity to share with this 3,000 plus scientific community that, you know, Mauna Kea is this very special, significant place here in Hawaii. There are people, there are families that connect up to that mountain for generations, there's deep history. And so I wanted to convey that message at the conference, and I also wanted to convey the importance of collaboration and partnership. Where scientific, in particular, astronomical research is being done, those communities who have these deep genealogical connections to the place, their voice is very important in terms of determining you know, the the fate and the connection and and the opportunities that those scientific endeavors have. And so I wanted to encourage that body of scientists to engage with indigenous populations and communities to have these collaborations like this naming project, which really, I think, brings the best out of both worldviews, the cultural and the scientific worldviews. And it helps us learn more about each other and appreciate better what each other's worldviews are and values are. And it actually even helps us co-create, you know, as, as with the naming process, it helps us to co-create something that will become fundamentally known throughout the world as Hawaiian or as other indigenous populations engage in similar ways perhaps. But i um, really helping to lift Hawaii's voice internationally, and that's the exciting thing about this partnership. What does Oumuamua mean? So Oumuamua, uh, we translate to mean as a scout or a messenger that has traveled here from the deep, distant past. Larry
1: Kimura and others came up with the name Povehi for the black hole.
4: Where does the name Povehi come from? So Povehi is actually referenced in the Kumulipo, which is over 2,000 lines of a mele or a chant composed for the creation of the Hawaiian universe. So it's a very, very old chant. Uh, probably took generations to build. And Po-Vehi is mentioned in the early chapters of this chant. There's many different references to Po, which is the pretty much the source of all life. It's the dark, deep, fathomless, energetic creation source that brings everything to fruition. And in the Kumulipo, Po is described in many, many different ways. So Vehi is a descriptor to Po. And in this case, Po-Vehi means sort of like an embellished, darkness so larry actually put out a bunch of he he thought of many different pole names that could be appropriate for this black hole discovery but povehi seemed to be the one that resonated or that stuck
1: (laughs) jessica dempsey you were actively involved in this discovery how did the name povehi strike you
3: well the thing was we had been sitting there with kayu and uncle larry and trying to describe basically the incredibly complex physics of what was going on in this image. And that took, you know, 10, 15 minutes. And then, then Larry said, povehi, and one word in Hawaiian. 15 minutes of explanation it took me, and, and we took six research papers in scientific <laughs> language to say this, and in one Hawaiian word, it encapsulated all of that. And so you could have knocked me over with a feather and every time I have the joy of working with Ka'iu and Larry, you know, I learn more, but every time it takes my breath away. It's just the Hawaiian uh, ancient astronomers were geniuses.
1: (laughs) I moderated a forum on Friday, August 12th at the College of Hawaiian Language about this discovery, and Doug Simons was part of it, Jessica Dempsey, Jeff Bauer from the Submillimeter Array, Larry Kimura from the College of Hawaiian Language in Ka'iu, Kimura. Now, first, I just want to say it was one of the very best forums I've ever moderated in that it was so fun, so interesting, and I urge everybody to find it online. It is up at com, and it will be up at the Emiloa Astronomy website. Doug Simons, in that forum, you spoke about your reaction to the Kumulipo and its relationship to what you have learned as a scientist, and your comments really struck me. So why don't you share how you feel?
2: Well, as fate would have it, the seat that I'm in right now is when I first heard the first line in Larry's unpublished translation of the Kumulipo. and he had asked me before our meeting to get together a little early because he wanted my interpretation, if you will, as a scientist of that. And he told me he was sitting right to where Jess is sitting right now. Um, Fundamental space altered by heat is the first line in my translation of the Kumulipo. and I just almost fell out of my chair. As an astronomer, I recognized that's a description of the Big Bang. And the next sentence, or the next line in his translation involves the unfolding of space, which is, again, maybe that's inflation, I don't know. But the uncanny nature of his unpublished version, and I've seen the whole version, and I've encouraged him to publish it, really struck me. And it occurred to me that this link that we have between Hawaiian ancient cultural knowledge connecting to us through him now and in his interpretation of that most important and sacred chant. It almost felt like it was a treasure being unveiled, if you will, as we discovered this together, basically, Larry and I. So when that, I, I turned around and I saw, oh, by the way, that's Larry, that's your unpublished version. That's not just, you know, there are four or five different translations. It was really remarkable for me to see that and I wanted others to see it as well. It really beautifully captures the opportunity that we have in this program for learning from multiple directions. And I've learned a lot from him. Uh, Jess has made these points really eloquently too about how when you come through that process of of explaining the scientific interpretation and learning the cultural interpretation and emerging from that conversation, having a much deeper sort of third axis, if you will, understanding that you didn't have before That's the beauty of this program. It's not just coming up with names. As I said during this forum, the names are gateways or pathways for a deeper understanding of the, the discovery itself that wouldn't be possible otherwise. And that, for me, is the magic of what we're doing.
1: As we close this interview, Jessica Dempsey of the East Asian Observatory,
3: what would you like to say? Uncle Larry has given us a challenge which is, uh, he did say when we were looking at these names in the Kumbulipo, he said, there's over a (laughs) hundred. And he said, so you can name a hundred black holes. And I'm like, okay, there we go. That's that's the challenge going forward. Thanks for that one. (laughs) So I think that is the exciting part here, both scientifically and in what we're creating, you know, with this cultural bridge is, I hope it's more than a hundred. And I think we'll continue discovering, but in entirely new ways, I'm excited. Doug Simons, Canada-France-Hawaii Telescope, what would you like to say in closing?
2: I'll say the same words I I shared at the end of your your panel the other night. You know, I have a very strong personal connection to Mauna Kea, spent so many hours up on that mountain. And I, in a sense, feel like this program is providing Mauna Kea a voice. That voice is ultimately that of our community. And through this international recognition of these names and that voice, we're doing something unprecedented and very powerful. And most importantly, that voice, as it's being heard around the world, it's a Hawaiian voice. And I feel strongly that's how it should be.
1: cut Kimura, Imi Loa Astronomy. What would you like to say in closing?
4: I think, you know, we're just at the very, very beginning. Like uh, both Jessica and Doug referenced, I mean, there's, there's so much more to be done. Um, I think we're finally at a point in our history where this conversation of you know, Hawaiian knowledge uh, coming together with astronomy, discovery, and research. There's so much potential and so much things to explore there. And so we hope here at Ibi Law that is our mission, to further explore the intersecting and the coming together of these two worldviews. And, you know, there are millions, if not billions, of things that astronomers are discovering every day. And so we've got a big job of further connecting with these objects in order to see, you know, What does that mean? How does that fold into our Hawaiian worldview? Thank you so much.
1: My guests today have been Jessica Dempsey of the East Asian Observatory, Doug Simons of Canada-France-Hawaii Telescope, and Ka'iou Kimura of Imi Loa Astronomy. I'm Sherry Bracken. This is Island Conversations. Until next week, please, let's all live and drive with aloha. Ahui ho.
0: Thank you for listening to Island Conversations with Sherry Bracken. Available anytime at kwxx.com. We welcome your feedback and suggestions at info at kwxx.com. Join us next week for another Island Conversations with Sherry Bracken, brought to you by KTA Superstores, where you're someone special every day since 1916.